take out on the interstate when I saw her making eyes at me. Well, hey there, howdy, thanks for coming in, and thanks for telling a friend that you hang out on the other side of Texas, Jay West, Texas, Leeson here, and little sister Lauren Huff across the way, pushing the buttons, making things work. We're broadcasting from the West Texas Accessory Depot Studios. Go see the folks at Accessory Depot on 82nd and Valencia in Lubbock. Other side listeners can get, and by that, I mean if you're listening on the podcast, you're listening on the stream, or you're listening in Lubbock, by golly, Texas, you can get a free roll of WeatherTech liners with the purchase of a bed cover. Did you see, Little Sister, what Accessory Depot did to my truck? Oh, like the rack in the front yeah, and stuff. I mean, it looks oh, incredible. okay, they do all that. Yeah. 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 Oh, I saw it. It looked great. I, I didn't like the dice, though. There's dice. dice. I didn't know. I didn't notice. No, I got that. I got that from like some roadside convenience store on the way to either Balmeray or Nacogdoches. I can't remember. Anyhow, Accessory Depot can make your truck great again. Go check them out. 806-866-9494. That's 866-9494. Or for everyone listening, wherever you are, WTAccessoryDepot.com. Big show for you today. We're going to get into some uh, craft beer justice. Brock Wagner, who was the founder of, is, I shouldn't say was in past tense, is the founder of St. Arnold, will be on with us. And it's his debut, Brandon Darby, editor of Breitbart, Texas, Sitting co-host seat on Fridays. How you doing, Brandon Darby? Doing just fine, thank you. To be fully transparent, you and I are really good friends. We are. We uh, really enjoy one another's company and said, you know, come in on Fridays. Let's see how things go. And so here you are. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to talking about beer, about craft beer. Um, You know, we went to, you know, Jay and I went to, what was it called? The Lone Star Legislative conference summit 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 sounds a in lot Nacogdoches, more important Texas than, than and, uh, conference we both drove uh, in separate vehicles across the state of Texas and then because, meet, because meeting why? with folks because well, why well we were asked to go and, and we, were, we were asked to go and talk on a panel I had to get back early oh why why did we go in separate cars yeah. because we, you had to get back early yeah, yeah. plus you know 6-3 tilting at 250 and you know, shotgun in the the Derby Jeep can be tough. It can I be could see that. I could see that. When when you aren't driving. I could see that. Okay. So look, let's just go with this out of the gate. First segment we got Brock Wagner coming up, second segment and then Brandon. You gotta, you gotta frame this properly, man. Like like that's what I'm trying to tell you. Like when it comes to framing something properly, like that sounded very interesting, right? Like in, acad- in an ac- academic way. Like we have Brock Wagner and we're... But here's the situation. The situation, I started looking into it after this summit. We talked to people. The situation is that we have a regula- regulatory structure in Texas that makes it very difficult, am I correct? Makes it difficult for people uh, to make their own beer, for small uh, breweries to, to make beer. Is that correct? I and think that's the bird's eye view. Yeah, it's very difficult. And what happens is some, some folks spend a bunch of money lobbying you, lobbying our leaders, making sure that it's difficult. 
Now, that's the kind of stuff that we're supposed to be against in Texas, right? We want some regulation when you need regulation, but you want to have businesses being free to start and to, to grow. And for some reason or another, uh, you know, when big distributors or, or manufacturers uh, don't want uh, a bunch of competition, they can make it very difficult for other people to enter the marketplace. And I've not looked at the numbers, but I will say that, you know, it's a Bartle do whenever you look at the kind of money that the distributors put in to the legislature, the big, can we just say big beer? Big sure. beer puts in the legislature versus, uh, ver- even versus oil. Whenever you look at giving, uh, I should say donations, contributions, not giving. This isn't the Methodist Church. But whenever you look at contributions and donations, and apparently there's return on that dollar. Well, though they wouldn't keep R-O-I. putting those dollars in, yeah. right? So, so I think that's that's a that concept. I mean, uh, over time, I think that will will touch it'll touch on a number of different um, industries or different areas where there's a lot of things that people could do, local people could do, uh, rural people could do to to make an income, and that there's no good safety reason why not. But because some businesses don't want competition, they make it very difficult. And if they're not, ta- it's not talked about. Then if it's not talked about, then nobody knows about it. I didn't know about it until. I went to that conference, or that summit, sorry, and talked to different people and heard their perspectives, you know. Uh, so I think that's, you know, that's a good thing to talk about. I think I think there's a lot of other areas we can get into with that. That is called Radio T. So coming up in about 10 minutes, we'll get into that. But first of all, in the various ways that I respect you and in some ways... Wayne on respect, but one thing I really enjoy about my friend Brandon Darby is his proficiency, his profound professionalism in writing headlines. It makes people mad sometimes. You can, but here's the deal, Brandon Darby, you can take any story and put a bikini on it and make it click-worthy. That's what you do. Within that's what that's my job. One of my jobs, yeah. Is I, no. I take things and I get frustrated every day because I see headlines that that could say something a little more yeah. interesting. So what I thought I'd do is go through about, well, what I got here, about half a dozen stories. And what I'd like to do is read the story without the headline, and then you hear the story and you tell me what your headline would be. You ready? We can try it. Okay, let's do this. Evansville, Indiana, according to the AP. <laughs> Police say a 19-year-old Indiana man took a cab to and from a bank robbery and that he paid the driver with some of his stolen cash. Derek Faria was arrested less than an hour after Thursday's robbery at Fifth Third Bank branch in Evansville. The Evansville Courier and Press reports that Faria reportedly passed a teller a note demanding money, but he didn't show a weapon. Faria is being held there at the county jail on preliminary charges of robbery and possession of drug paraphernalia. Court records show that Faria hadn't been formally charged as of Friday. They didn't list any attorney for him. Took a taxi to and from. Was it a taxi or an Uber? Or a Lyft? Taxi. We're sure about that? Yes. Okay. Um, I'd probably say taxi taking taxi using bank robber busted that's what i'd say 
Okay. What the AP said was, police say Indiana man took taxi to and from bank robbery. Little sister, who wins? AP, Brandon Darby. Brandon Darby. Okay. <laughs> See, this is good. I Why thought you were going to throw a Stormy Daniels one on me or something. Wait, just wait. That's kind of a weird story. Honestly, that's a little weird. I mean, that's not in my business, really. But it's kind of weird. You know what I mean? Yeah, don't get ahead of me here. I would be humiliated. Like, if I did something like that and people knew I did that. Uh, I'm single. Like, if you're who? Stormy or Trump? If, well, both of them, honestly. But dude, dude, Trump's numbers go up if you pay, if you went in and you polled middle-aged guys from 25 to 65 and say, this man had an affair with this woman, shows a picture of Stormy Daniels, clothed, but still Stormy Daniels, mm-hmm. And then is married to a Slovenian supermodel. Hold a picture up. Mm-hmm. Melania Trump. His numbers go up or down. Well, okay, so here's what we need to look at. How long have you been married, Jay? Oh, yeah, 17? 17 years, okay. So I've not been married, all right? So when you're not married, you have this thing called game, right? <laughs> and... Well, the last thing you want to have happen is you don't want to look lonely and desperate, but the last thing you want is for the whole world to know that you slept with a porn star. That would ruin it all. You don't want that. So you might get some men appreciating that, some some sectors of society, but if you are the type of person who is single or who acts like you're single, which apparently Trump did, the last thing in the world you want is everybody talking about like who you slept with. You don't want that. Okay. Well, let's push forward and then we'll come back to that here in just a moment. Waterboro, Maine. Jesus Christ, who lives in Maine, says she didn't know Oprah Winfrey was asking for a sign from God about running for president when she sent a letter to the television magnet television reports a television studio reports 83 year old Jesus Christ legally named Jesus Christ in North Waterboro says she began a letter writing campaign 50 years ago to spread a message of faith and peace after legally changing her name Christ last name Christ says she sent the letter to Oprah because she likes her but had no idea it would get so much attention television anchor Gail King posted the letter to Oprah on Instagram on Wednesday asking if it was the sign that her best friend was looking for Christ says if Oprah runs for president she'll vote for her your headline Brandon Darby wow um are we sure we're not being culturally insensitive and it's not Jesus? It could be. I, I read it as Jesus in, because it is Maine. Yeah, but they have blueberry season there. So just, let's just assume it's Jesus Christ. What's your headline? Jesus Christ anxious for Oprah run. <laughs> and I put single quotes around Jesus Christ. Phoenix, Arizona, according to AP, a woman photographed by police wearing what appeared to be a wedding dress during her arrest on a charge of impaired driving in southern Arizona is disputing police claims that she was taken into custody and was headed to her wedding. 
The image of Amber Young being put into a police cruiser late Monday while in handcuffs and wearing a white open-back full-length dress made its rounds on social media. The 32-year-old Young was arrested in Marana, 30 miles north of Tucson after she became involved in a three-vehicle crash in which one person suffered minor injuries. She was getting married? She says that she was not, but she was wearing a bridal dress. Yeah, I don't know about that one. You know, I, w- I would say, uh, Marana, please, <clears throat> Marana, please interact with mental health um <clears throat> Mental. I, I would probably go in that direction. I don't. I don't understand that. So I don't know. I'd have to look at it. Um, Interact with deranged bride. No. <clears throat> Apparently, deranged I don't know. Bride. Okay. I don't know what I'd say. So pass on that one. Mm-hmm. That's okay because you're just getting. The, we didn't look at this before the show. So let's do a couple of Trump tweets before we go to break. Woman in bridal dress arrested in Marana. Okay. Watch out for Marana. They take down the brides. Doesn't that mean pig in Spanish? I, uh, I don't. We need another person in the studio to look these things up. Donald Trump tweets. Donald Trump tweets. Sanctuary cities released at least 142 gang members across the United States, making it easy for them to commit all forms of violent crimes where none would have existed. We're doing a great job of law enforcement, but things. Such as this makes safety in America difficult! Exclamation mark. What would my headline be on that Trump tweet? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I would probably. I would probably relate it to the border numbers that came out last week that showed that the numbers were very high, and that his rhetoric wasn't working. Th- um, this rhetoric here. That his rhetoric wasn't working. You know, I would, I would, that one isn't really that interesting. I'd probably say something like, you know, Trump tweets, <clears throat> Trump tweets on MS 13 and sanctuary cities or something like that, you know. Okay. Trump slams, but I wouldn't, I really wouldn't touch that, you know. Like, I, I wouldn't touch that as an editor. I would let the, the other Breitbart team touch that. Okay. So, last one here before we go into break, we'll get into craft beer coming up after the break. President Donald Trump, this is from Politico, President Donald Trump on Wednesday labeled efforts by adult film. <laughs> oh, we're going like, to, is this a stormy one? Is this, yes, yeah. stormy's coming. The storm is coming. President Donald Trump on Wednesday labeled efforts by adult film actress Stormy Daniels to locate the man she says threatened her in 2011 on the president's behalf, quote, a total con job, end quote, sharing a Twitter user's post suggesting that a composite sketch of the man bears a resemblance to Daniel's husband. A sketch years later about, this is a quote, a sketch years later about a non-existent man, a total con job, playing the fake media for fools, but they know it. Trump wrote on Twitter Monday morning, linking to other posts with side-by-side photos of the composite sketch released yesterday by Daniels and her attorney and the black-and-white photo of Daniels and a man who appears to be Brandon Miller, who is reportedly her third husband. You can take a look at what he was linking to right there. Uh-huh. Your headline. 
Trump slams porn star twice. Twice. <laughs> no, Trump slams porn star again. <laughs> I get, take it away. Go. 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 Get right. the music. Get the music. Come on. Get some craft beer. Right here on the side of Texas. Adios, goodbye, amigos. I am leaving you today. Ain't nobody around this town that's gonna miss me. His class voted him most likely to run with scissors. Welcome back to The Other Side with Jay Leeson. I was just 15 and now That's right. Some mag. Everybody always comes back to Lubbock, Texas. This segment's brought to you by Racer Car Wash, voted Lubbock's best wash for five years running. Stop in to one of their five convenient locations across Hub City for the best wash around. You know, you might wait till Saturday, Sunday, and just by the looks of the worst hard time outside, you're going to need that vehicle wash. Go to racerwash.com, find the best location nearest you. We right now have... Brock Wagner did an interview with him. Hoped he could come on the show. Had to pre-take the interview. Want you to hear that interview now. Brock Wagner is the founder of St. Arnold's Brewing Company. Started in 94 and has some real issues with the way that Texas law is prohibiting his industry. We had him. Great interview. Listen close. Brandon Darby going to break it down when it's over. Four years ago. Texas craft beers experienced a big boom, and then last year, some say the carpet was pulled out from underneath them. Joining us on the other side of Texas is the president and founder of St. Arnold's Brewing Company. He is Brock Wagner. Thanks for coming on with us, Brock. Oh, thanks for having me this morning. Well, tell it's it. Afternoon, I guess it is. Yeah, we're at the afternoon now. Maybe you've been taking some off the top there, Brock? Well, we, we call it R&D. Okay. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about St. Arnold's. When did you start, and how big is your production now? So I started St. Arnold in 1994, and I've been a home brewer prior to that. Uh, today we're Texas's oldest craft brewer, uh, which it's important to note we weren't the first. We just outlasted all the others. Uh, and today uh, we're doing about 68,000 barrels of beer a year. Uh, which makes us the largest craft brewery in Texas, uh, but still we're you know, dropping the bucket compared to the big international brewing company. So 68, give us, you don't have to name one, but compared to a big brewer, what do they usually do per year? So Anheuser-Busch InBev, just a U.S. operation, so the old Anheuser-Busch, they do about 100 million barrels a year. Yeah, we're, we're a few hours of their production. A drop in the barrel, as it were. So Texas yeah, historically, exactly. this this gets a little bit complicated, and I know that people really enjoy their craft beer, uh, me being one of them. But it goes up against Texas history and Texas political history in a lot of ways. Texas has three tier systems, and it's not just related to to the beer industry. It's also the liquor industry to an extent, but especially the automobile industry. For instance, Elon Musk recently tried to bring Tesla in to try to bypass 
the distribution angle and go straight production to home. Some will say that craft beer is a correlation to the automobile industry in Texas and that we do have these three-tier systems. This is the way things have always been. Buck Wagner, why should things change for craft beer? So the three-tier system, it's something that came about after Prohibition and says you can be either a brewer, a distributor, or a retailer, but you can't that they can't cross. And there's a good reason for them because there was a time when breweries would open all, own all the bars and you'd get no selection when you went into a bar. Um, and there were other abuses that occurred because of that. Now, it's, the three-tier system has evolved and it needs to continue evolving to reflect kind of the current market environment. And every time it has evolved, uh, for example, back in, in 1994, around there, when uh, brew pubs were first legalized, that was the first time you saw a kind of craft beer take hold here in Texas. Then they didn't evolve again until 2013 when we got a bill passed that allowed for breweries like ourselves to sell beer on premise. So prior to 2013, if you came and visited St. Arnold's, I could give you a beer for free, but I couldn't sell you a pint, hmm. uh, which obviously is a pretty bad business proposition. Um, we got that changed, and we also got it changed because up before 2013, brew pubs could sell their own beer on premise, but they couldn't distribute their beer at all. Uh, the result was you've seen a huge boom in craft brewing here in Texas since those bills were passed in 2013. There's about 250 craft breweries in the state today, whereas 10 years ago, there was about 20. So, I mean, you can see how when the law changes, it really helps the entire state. Um, but that's all been good. Now, last year, there was a step backwards when a bill was passed that... Um, would restrict some of the operations you can have on premise, especially if a bigger brewery happens to buy your brewery. Um, but it's important for these laws to continue changing. Yeah. So one of the things we'd really like to see now is to be able to sell sell you a six pack of beer when you come visit the brewery. Yeah, rather than the jug. Well, we can't even sell you a. a uh, you know, a growler to take home. Oh. Now, if you go to a brew pub, they can, but we, but a shipping brewery like ourselves okay. cannot. That's a, that's an important distinction there. So, Brock Wagner, he is the founder of St. Arnold. What's the website there, Brock, if people want to look you up? StArnold.com. You okay. just have to remember, you have to spell it out. S-A-I-N-T. Arnold.com. Sane all the way. So the House bill, the bill that you're referring to in 2017 that passed out of the 85th legislature, HB 3287, that I believe by Craig Goldman, who's a state representative out of West Fort Worth. Some call that bill an extortion tax or a dot bump tax. Go ahead and explain further why, I don't know if you feel the same way, you probably do, if you feel that that is an extortion tax and how it is an extortion tax. So, that was an interesting bill. There was one group of constituents who was for that bill in the entire state of Texas, and that was beer wholesalers. Uh, 
breweries were all against it. Uh, yeah, consumers were against it. It's just a very small, uh, really a small number of, of men who who were in favor of this bill. And what it does is if you get up to a certain size, you then have to, if you're a brewery like us, uh, and we're not at that size yet, but if we get there, we would have to start purchasing the beer that we sell at our premises back from a distributor. So we, and what's even sillier about it is the distributor doesn't actually want to pick the beer up from us, bring it to their warehouse, then ship it back to us so that we could serve it. They'll just give us an invoice for what we take from our cold box and serve there at our, uh, you know, move to our bar and, and sell uh, just to get their bump tax. So that's one aspect to the bill. Uh, the other aspect of the bill, which is you have to get a little bit more into the weeds, but is probably more critical to craft brewers in Texas, is it reduced the value of Texas craft brewers by about 50% because it makes us unappealing for any other brewery in the country or the world to want to invest in our breweries because it could, their investment could actually cause us to have to shut down our tap rooms. And our tap rooms are our number one marketing tool. You know, that's how people like to come visit breweries, experience us, taste the beer, and then they go out to other bars and restaurants and grocery stores and, and purchase our beer. So it sounds like you say a small number of men uh, is the phrase that you used, beer wholesalers. But whenever it gets down into Austin and into the Pink Dome, if you got 76 on the House side and 16 on the Senate side, you've got a bill that becomes law. How was a how were the beer wholesalers or a small group of men able to push that through both chambers and then not receive the governor's veto in the end? Well, they're one of the largest contributors of political donations to uh, to the politicians in the state of Texas. Um, and, you know, their donations are in the millions of dollars every single election cycle, and that's from the governor, the lieutenant governor, and they pretty much blanket the entire legislature. So it's kind of one of those money talks, and uh, they're very lucrative businesses and. That's how it works. It, it's not about, unfortunately, this is one of those cases where it's not about what's good for the state of Texas, or, you know, the people, the consumers, uh, the overall economy. It becomes very much focused on on some individual businesses. Uh, I'm going to go through some rapid fire here, Brock Wagner, and I know that we value your time and thank you for coming in but I've got I want to know how you started did you start like in your bathtub or your garage I mean you saw an opening <laughs> obviously you saw an opening before 94 and knew that there would be the opportunity to establish to found a craft beer how'd you start so I started out as a home brewer I was actually in college it was the RA in my dorm that taught me to homebrew. so technically I am using what I learned at Rice Although this is not what, I, what my parents thought I was Wait, was it in the dorm, Brock? Or was it in a residence? It was in, 
it was in the dorm. Nice. <laughs> nice. Those private uh, school kids. You, know, you never know. <laughs> wow. Well, and we, yeah, and I kept hovering. It, it really, that became my passion. I would do it on weekends after college. When I was, when I was working on coming up with uh, the name for the brewery, I started thinking, well, yeah, I wonder who the patron saint of Brewers is. And I started doing research, and I found St. Arnold. He was a great guy. He was the Bishop of Metz from 612 to 629, and he was known for running around the countryside telling all his parishioners, do not drink water. Water is bad, which was true back then. To drink beer is a gift of God. He was, he was a very popular bishop. Okay, so tell me, Brock Wagner, with what you've lined out with the bump tax and the cost of overhead production, but how much of people will notice that whenever they go to buy a six pack of craft beer, nine, ten dollars, somewhere in there, is that to absorb some of this bump tax and, and other fees associated with distributing? That really has to do with the cost of producing the beer. We are wonderfully inefficient businesses. Yeah. Uh, we buy the most expensive ingredients. And, um, and Brock, it's really about the, you can't expect to just buy it at six bucks whenever you guys are pumping eleven percent into it. You know, I mean, come on, this costs money. Yeah, no, it's it's expensive what we do, um, and really, the, the cost of our beer is pretty much independent of these particular. Uh, you know, those bills getting passed. Okay. Those bills have more to do with what the enterprise value of our companies are. Now, okay. I have no no interest in selling St. Arnold's, and I've been approached by every you know major brewing company that exists. But should you want to, or if people are just looking to invest in your brewery, it has actually scuttled investment in some other small craft breweries after this bill got passed. Wow. Yeah, what we're faced with is be more like, let's say, your, your your parent broadcasting company was told, well, if you're purchased by a larger broadcasting company, you can get the frequency, but your show can't be aired anymore. Hmm. And Man, so you're really making it hit home now, bro. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's kind of what what that bill does. So suddenly, nobody really is, is going to be interested in in investing in the parent company of your uh, you know of your radio. No. Uh, so tell me, that I've uh, talked with guys who took that vote, and this is what they'll say to me: that took the vote against you and for thirty two eighty seven. They'll say, "Look, we have." A large number of people who work in these wholesalers and in these distribution companies in our district and we voted for those jobs because this could be an upheaval to the entire uh, beer industry in Texas what, do, what would you say to those who, who make those kinds of arguments am I allowed to say on the air we can edit that out <laughs> okay uh that that is the biggest bunch of malarkey that I've ever heard. Um, that is not going to cause distribution jobs to go away. It is, you know, distributors tend to, especially the lobbyists, like to create uh, 
craft breweries as boogeymen for them. I think primarily to make sure that the lobbyists uh, can keep their jobs. But every time the laws evolve in a positive way for craft breweries, the amount of craft beer that these distributors sell goes up. And they make more money selling our craft beer than they do the, the big mass-produced brands. It's this fear, this, they view the economy and the market for beer as a zero-sum game. And I'm actually an economist by training, and I can tell you, every time you look at something as a zero-sum game and that's the way you start behaving, what actually happens is the pie shrinks. What we're trying to do is get these laws to evolve, which will actually grow the pie, and everybody will benefit from it. But there would be zero loss of jobs that would have occurred if they didn't pass that bill. That bill, that that is complete smoke and mirrors, look over here kind of thing. There's, there's no basis to, to that statement. It's tough because we don't have the money to donate that the big brewers do. And unfortunately, as long as money becomes the uh, the driving force in politics, as long as that's the case, it's going to be hard and you know, the end result may not be what's actually best for the state of Texas. We hope that you'll come back on as things begin to heat up as we go into the 86th legislature. Well, I appreciate your having me. I really enjoyed talking to you. Well, it's been great. Brock Wagner, again, founder of St. Arnold. You go starnold.com. So and that was Brock Wagner, and how great to get in a Texas-based CEO who's invested in this game and and sees what's played out, what played out four years ago, and does feel like the rug was pulled out from underneath him. We'll get into the politics of all this. Brandon Darby, managing editor of Breitbart, co-host right now with me, Jay West Texas Lisa. We're in the politics of craft beer as we come back from this break. class voted him most likely to run with scissors. Welcome back to The Other Side with Jay Leeson. Hey, welcome back in. This segment's brought to you by Title One, Lubbock's digital real estate and title escrow company. Title One is committed to providing you, that's right, you, with the highest level of communication and service from the time the contract opens until it closes. See how Title One can serve your realty, consumer, and lending needs at TitleOne.com. Brandon Darby in studio with us. Happy Friday to you, Brock Wagner, founder of St. Arnold Brewing Company. In that last segment, Darby, your initial takeaways from listening to him. Well, I mean, it's hard because some of the the politicians I like, and I think they do the most for rural areas, you know, and stand up against uh, 
certain big interests, you know, certain big, uh, you know, big interests. I think that, uh, you know, my understanding is that some of them voted against uh, the small breweries. They voted uh, for, ha- for House Bill 3287, but go ahead. Right. Would, would you say that's against the interests of the small breweries? Oh, yeah, I think it's yeah. fair to say, yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm bothered by that, um, but I guess no one's beyond uh, doing wrong, you know. Um, you know, maybe they were lobbied or something, and maybe they, they bought what the lobbyists had to say, but... But to be, let me just interject there, to some of them, like, like Great Plains distributors and other groups do have significant employment in their in their districts and if you're going to say vote your districts and you see something like this mm-hmm. now re- you're right maybe you could be lobbied and think because it's only what 140 day session there's a lot of stuff coming at you this is a problem for your district this could pose a a danger to your district then yeah i can understand well i'm just going to vote against it, or uh, i'm going to vote for this bill that's against small breweries but by and large go ahead well, I can comprehend that, but but would it really cause there to be a loss of jobs at that d- distributor? Uh, apparently, we had to censor out the term from Brock Wagner that uh, his frame of reference for what he thought of that claim. Yeah, I'd have to which, look more. Which into was it, something that started with B, and the second part was S. You know, part of the deal with with rural areas, and that that in, that would I think apply to. Rural politicians, rural political leaders, like some of the ones we're talking about. Um, I think part of the deal is, as much as we do want to see some type of, what I advocate for at least, I say we, I'm, not everyone feels this way obviously, but as much as I do think using the power of government to preserve place has a, 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 a limited, um, but does have a place in our society when it comes to agricultural communities, when it comes to public schools, um, uh, in the rural communities, uh, agricultural interests, etc. Um, we also need to remember that there is, <coughs> there is, uh, there is a need uh, for lightening up on some restrictions, especially ones that, that limit business or stop new businesses from forming. So in rural areas, you know, we could have people selling chickens, right? Selling, raising chickens and selling them to the local grocery stores. We could have small brewers doing the same we could have we could have a lot of uh, a lot of entrepreneurship if if government would would get out of the way so as much as some rural areas need some government um, there's a lot of things like this that seem and and I have to learn more about it and I mean I think we're talking about Seliga right we're talking about others who else voted do we know like locally who voted well I mean Drew Darby, somebody we think a lot of on this program, and uh, you cited. I think that Selger carried it on the Senate side, so uh, that would encompass a lot of folks. Um, folks that generally we have a pretty good uh, estimation of, or have publicly talked about. Uh, but again, again, I, I think that we need to realize that, uh, from what I can see, and we need to learn more about it. But from what I can see, we need to realize that maybe it is an issue where large interests or, or, or larger companies um, say, hey, uh, you know, we need to keep the status quo. That one of the arguments they're going to make, I mean, of course, if they're trying to protect the profits, they're going to say, hey, we got to protect jobs in your community. But maybe there would be more jobs in the community if, if, if it weren't the case. Yeah, and what's humorous to me is that whenever you look at it, some arguments that the big 
can we say big beer? I mean, I think uh, that's appropriate. So, the so beer industrial complex. <laughs> So what the beer industrial complex Big Beer has said is we're just looking out for the microbrewers, which whenever you've got the leverage in the issue, <laughs> in the matter, in the policy matter, that's all. I mean, my BS detector automatically goes off. You, you aren't looking out for little guy. So, you know, but it is the three-tier system in Texas, and this three-tier can be seen across a, a, a lots of different industries where you've got retail distribution and production and i mentioned elon musk there's a reason why tesla cannot deliver a car to your house and i think that there's a lot of merit there to say look this is the way that we've we've operated businesses now for decades and decades in texas and you just can't get a red you can't just get a pass all of a sudden just because you've got a disruptive idea and you know, some people may say that's conservatism in Texas. Others might say, well, that's big business in Texas. But that's the reality of the matter, that you've got some disruption going on. And, you know, m with me, if I'm in the beer store, I'm going towards the craft beer. I'm going towards the St. Arnold's. I'm going towards the Dale's Pale Ale. I, I, I don't, I mean, I had my time with Keystone Light. I like to think that as I approach 40 that I can drink something a little bit different than Natty Light. Right, but I mean, we go through the, this is that age-old argument, right? And we go through that in Texas, we have an interesting balance because we have, we have such a hodgepodge of ideas in our conservatism, right? Um, we have a lot of Texas conservatives who are in favor of DACA. We have a lot of conservatives in the country who are not. Uh, but we have a different set of circumstances here. Uh, we have a situation with small farming and milk and, and dairy production where... Uh, again, big industries uh, step in and, and lobby and lobby for, for stricter, even though I'm 10 times more likely per per serving to get sick from cold cuts than I am from raw milk. You don't see this big push against cold cuts, right? You see a big push against raw milk. Like, there's a reason for all this yeah. stuff. And, and businesses find clever ways, and I'm not knocking them for it. They're looking out for their financial interests, but they find clever ways of, of uh, promoting their interests and getting lawmakers to promote their interests. So I just think that we need to, maybe this is one of those situations we really need to look at, and we need to figure out ways, um, I think, ultimately, to hold politicians accountable or, or maybe just help bring a voice to, to people who don't have the money that, that uh, the larger businesses have. We're going to go to break, but before we go to break, I want to tell you that other side listeners, if you go down the Shift Automotive Group, and that's just outside of West Loop 289 in Lubbock on 58th Street, go all the way out, find Shift Automotive Group, and it won't be hard to find. You can even look it up at shiftlubbock.com. Our friend Derek Beard, supporter of the program, he's been in the car business for 20 years. He will give you $1,000 more on your trade-in. Whatever you're driving right now, if you thought, you know, it may be time. It, it is time. Derek Beard's going to give listeners this program, again, online, podcast, or on air. He's going to give you $1,000 more for your trade-in. He's worked the pavement lots. He's installed the accessories and financed the deals. And now he has this rather new dealership and he's doing great shift automotive group in lubbock they are honest brokers and when the unexpected comes they can hook you up check them out there west lou 289 on 58th street at shiftlubbock.com 
806-993-1094. That's shiftlubbock.com. Shift into something much better. We're going to go to break, come back in, get some thoughts from Brandon Darby on what's going on in his mind and things that we ought to be looking out for here in the other side of Texas. I don't like the way the gas is sky high And I don't like the way the stocks are down And I ain't into Bluetooth Hey, Lubbock File Room, I mean, come on. If you've got a bunch of documents that you needed some destruction on, these guys can hook you up. Believe me, I can tell you firsthand. I mean, just shoot me a note. Jay at the other side of Texas, I can tell you how they hooked us up. Providing safe and secure document storage and shredding services to Lubbock and the surrounding area since 1992 for a free and hassle-free and they mean hassle-free estimate. Call them 806-744-7666. Pretty easy to remember. 806-744-7666 can hook you up. I want to remind you that you can follow this program on Facebook, Other Side of Texas, on Twitter, at OSTX Show. And you can go to Other Side of Texas. You can download our podcast. Subscribe. We like good reviews, too. You find that there at the iTunes podcast store, other side of Texas. Brandon Darby, managing editor of Breitbart, Texas. We close out this Friday edition of the program. Tell us what you're thinking about, what's on your mind. Well, <clears throat> I'm thinking about the border. I'm thinking about Mexico. I'm thinking about a panel. that. Uh, yeah, you were on a big panel at Texas Tech earlier this week. It's kind of flattering. Tuesday, Tuesday night, Wednesday yeah, night. It was like, it was like um, big wig from the law school, uh-huh. Texas Tech, and then um, a PhD candidate, and then a, a professor, another PhD, and then me with a GED, you know, <laughs> on the panel, and uh, it was very interesting. It was about DACA. Um, I thought it was going to be very explosive. I thought we would argue a lot, but really, we didn't have a lot to argue about. Um, you know, they had the people on the panel had some of their perspectives were different than mine, but my my main focus was just trying to remind people the importance of remembering that we're talking about people. You know, regardless of your policy positions, some of the stuff that has become very prevalent on social media and in the discussion of of people who come here illegally is uh, you know I, I see a lot of talk about diseased dogs. You know, execute everyone at the border. We need to mine the border, even though the majority of people crossing are women and children. And, um, and you know, we had a, a couple of, of dudes in um, Kansas the other day who, <clears throat> who were convicted for trying to uh, commit acts of terrorism against uh, Somali refugees, which I don't, that's not, you're trying to blow up churches and blow up apartment buildings, that's not good. So the, the refugees 
like they got in under asylum laws well refugee laws which would be yeah so a refugee the difference between an asylum asylum and, a, and an asylee and refugees an asylee comes to the u.s and asks for asylum and a refugee asks for it in another country right uh, there's a few more differences but it's really just procedural right um so they're here legally and but that's the kind of situation that we're in right now where things are so heated i do think it's um you know, it's kind of important that we remember we're talking about people. And um, and I also think it's important for people on the left or who wherever they are who are big DACA advocates or am amnesty advocates to remember that when you're talking about the right and people who disagree with you, that they're, you're still talking about people too. And we're all people, right? And so at the point that we're starting to see acts of violence and attempted acts of violence, and it's probably a good idea that everybody chills out a little bit, takes a breather, and backs up, and then reassesses how they want to approach this argument, right? Hmm. So that's what that's what we talked about. That's what I talked about. And then I used it as an opportunity to remind people of what's going on in Mexico and talk about our Cartel Chronicles project in Mexico um, and to try to raise awareness, man. And it was pretty cool. I had a really neat time. Covered on local media? Do you think it was covered fairly? I think it was covered fairly on local media. I think so. Um, I think they did a pretty good job. You know, Lubbock's a pretty conservative place. I don't think they tried to put any words in my mouth. Um, I, I would have preferred that they, you know, focused more on what was going on in Mexico and what have you, but they didn't, and that's okay. That not Not such a big deal. Like, you know, media in the U.S. has some type of resistance to talking about what's really happening in Mexico and you know Mexico half of Mexico is a is really a failed narco state I mean their their, their territory uh, half of their territory is controlled by transnational criminal groups who are armed better than their military right um, that's a big deal you know that's a big deal when cartels control half of your country imagine if 25 states in the US were under the control of organized criminal groups you know it's a very big deal from the governors all the way down and you know I think that in the US left of center media doesn't particularly want to talk about what's really going on there because they think it's going to support right of center calls for more border security and I think right of center media doesn't want to talk about what's going on there because they think it's going to support left of center calls for asylum or uh, what have you um, so no one really wants to talk about it and what happens is you're left with millions of people who um, you know who really don't have a voice and have anybody telling what's going on and, and this is significant in Lubbock especially because Lubbock is a predominantly Christian region right and some of the stuff that, that I see you know if I, I think it's Matthew 25 and I, I know we were just talking about Stormy Daniels and making jokes about the president and her and she or her um so I'm not trying to preach at you, I, you know, by any means or to the listeners. I, you know, I'm going to leave here and smoke cigarettes, and I'll probably drink more Johnny Walker Black Label tonight than I should. You know, like I'm not, not trying to preach at anyone. Um, but I will say that as a predominantly Christian area, um, you know, Matthew 25 and this concept of, you know, unto the least of these, and you know, I, um, I was in prison and you visited me. I was in, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. You know, I was cold and you clothed me. Uh, that concept, I would think it would it would matter to to Christians to keep in mind when they're talking about policy. I don't think that means the government's obligated to give everyone welfare or whatever. Some listeners are going to be hearing and thinking, I'm not trying to say that. That's but so I, curious. But I, say that I do think it has to do with our attitude and our tone. You know. I think that you can't get around that. 
So, look, all this stuff is up on iTunes. You can go into iTunes podcast on your phone and just search Other Side of Texas. But yesterday, Pete Laney, former Speaker of the House, a Democrat, and I say Democrat, and it's like I almost want to put quotes around it because a Democrat from another era. Whenever I asked him to reflect on what the word conservative meant, Pete said, just sitting right there, said, well, we used to be able to take care of of orphans and take care of the poor and take care of people, but now you can't be conservative and do that. Well, I mean, I don't... Okay, so I don't agree with that. I, I agree. I understand what he's saying, and I agree with him. But in whenever theory. you say the least of these... Right, but but what I'm getting at... You know, my, my own history has been a very interesting one. I've always been very radical about helping people who I thought were getting bullied, who I thought were getting mistreated by people with resources. So in my mind, if, if I begin to identify you as someone being victimized or bullied, then I, I've always been very radical and willing to step in and help you. I, I think that the work in Mexico says that, the work in New Orleans after Katrina says that, you know, it shows that tendency in myself. And, and um, for a long time, I... I thought I was on the left, right? So I, I organized with all these radical leftists, right? And um, and then at some point I began to realize I really didn't agree with most of them on any policy or outlook on the world. The only thing I had in common with them was that we were all radical about helping people who in need. And then I began to realize that it's really a false narrative that's kind of, uh, what is it, self-fulfilling, right? It's a false narrative that if you want to if you want to help people in need, then you're on the left, and if you want to help rich white people get richer, then you're on the right. Well, that's not necessarily the case, right? And so I didn't realize that. I bought into that false narrative, and as I got older, I began to realize, like, hey, you know what? I'm actually pretty conservative. I have a lot of rightist center views, a lot of limited government views. Um, I love my guns. I love a lot of things associated with the right. But just because I'm radical about helping others, there, there are good right of center arguments on how to do that. Um, and some of that involves governmental power in a limited way, right? This is about how the governmental power is used. Some of that involves government stepping out of the way um, and, and, and hope for churches and other nonprofits to step in and, and help, right? C society to help each other. Um, but I don't buy the argument that, that you can't be conservative and, and acknowledge the humanity in other people and people who come here legally or legally or whatever. And that's a big division on the right right now. You know, there's about, I think about 30% of the right is either really against immigration, like, and maybe 70% are against illegal immigration. But there are those. There is a big chunk that's against actual immigration of any kind. And I was surprised to learn that. And I don't stand with those people. Some of those people, they have good data. I'll, I'll read their data. I'll hear their arguments. I treat them with dignity. But I'm not one of those people. Um, a lot of them will say things like we need to limit immigration to keep the you know the the uh, cultural makeup or the demographics the same of and I'm like well you mean keep everybody white and that's not me you know that I'm not that guy um, Steve Bannon was that guy uh, Andrew Breitbart was not that guy right two two significant figures in in the history of Breitbart news who whom I've worked for uh, you know, but I, I don't buy it. So my, I contend that I'm a conservative, and I contend that that um, you can be on the right, and you can support things like public schools in rural areas, 
uh, you can be on the right and you can support you know some basic s security net for for some people who need it you can be on the right and you can support little children having health care and you can be on the right and you can you can you know whether regardless of your feelings about immigration or illegal immigration you can at least remember that you're dealing with human beings who need to be treated with dignity right and that doesn't so much affect governmental policy as it, as it does our tone like a lot of what I see you know the other day on Twitter a couple of weeks ago actually now someone tweeted that we should execute everyone at the border and I said I, I find it strange that you're, you're like a pastor and your profile says you're born again Christian and you're saying we should kill women and children on the border and then Ann Coulter retweeted it and quoted me and said well apparently you don't read your Bible God routinely calls on us to kill every living thing well then I quoted Ann Coulter and responded and said Ann send me your P.O. box because I, I think that you're I'll send you the New Testament because I think that your Bible is missing the New Testament you know whatever you're reading well then people began to send me scriptures about how we we're to see to treat strangers from a different land and how um, and I just don't see it biblical at all yes there's rule of law yes follow the, the law of the, the land um, but I don't see how it's biblical at all to be hateful to people um, and that's what I see a lot of right now and so I'm at a point where you know, I still have my views I'm a border security hawk I don't think anyone has invested as much time into understanding the entire border ecosystem as I have or my team has right um, we're very big border security hawks, very big on law and order and going after criminal cartels. I'm more hawkish on going after cartels than anyone I know. But that doesn't mean that it's okay that I dehumanize and, and talk about people coming illegally um, like they're diseased dogs, you know, things like that, that kind of language. That's not stuff that, that I'm going to engage in, and it's not stuff that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to function with, right? Because the truth is, is those people are in some really bad situations. I know we can't take the whole world here, and I don't suggest that we do. <clears throat> but I do suggest we realize, like, as a parent, like, if, if I knew that my daughter was going to be taken by a criminal group and turned into a prostitute in, at age of 12, you know what I would do with that little girl? I would pack her up, and I would move wherever I could to get away from that. And I would do that as a parent. And I think most people listening really would if they thought about it. They might not think about it because they, they were they were blessed to be born here. Um, so that you know, I'm not saying that the policy should change. I'm not saying we should give blanket amnesty to everyone in the world. I'm not that person. But I'm also not gonna, like I said, I'm not gonna sit by quietly while people talk about the poorest of the poor, most of whom are widows or orphans, and call them diseased dogs and talk about executing them. You know, like the, when you start that stuff, you you put me in a different position. He is at Brandon Darby on Twitter. Follow along with him at Breitbart, Texas. And uh, that's going to close us out here. Got to go home. Got to get home. Would stay longer, but have a average, well, I shouldn't say average, pretty good meal waiting in a great family. At home, until next time, thank you for telling a friend that you hang out on the other side of Texas. All this stuff will be up on iTunes, and check us out over the weekend, othersideoftexas.com, and see you on the Monday edition of Other Side of Texas. I see the sunrise creeping in. Everything changes like the desert